And Aaron, I don't hear any landscaping going on in your background. Okay, good, because it is alive and well in the backyard. <laughs> so. I'm just like, damn it, you guys, like at 1030 on the dot, they start. And I'm like, and I think they're taking down a tree. So it's, I oh, mean, it's going to be a while. So no, it's good. Um, my, my buddy's got a crew out and now they're putting in stone and they were working all day yesterday and just hammering and banging away. I'm like, man, are they coming in today? He's like, they should be coming, but they didn't show up. I'm like, well, good. Tell them to pause for at least another hour and a half. Well, then I'm at home with two kids. So uh, that's always, you know, a, a gamble. So we all got our own background noise issues. Yeah, we just roll with it. <laughs> Keep cool. it authentic, right? Hello, and welcome to Middleish, the podcast about moderation in all things. I am Michael Gray. And I'm Aaron Green. How are you, Aaron? Today, I'm good. good. Yeah, we're talking over each other again. We like to do this. (laughs) I am pretty good. And just before we got on, I was a little bit worried about some landscaping going on in the backyard, but it sounds like we're in good shape. Let's hope so. Yeah. 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 Because we have (laughs) a special guest today. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. And I'm really excited for this interview, and I am so excited for our listeners to hear this and to hear their reactions because. I had my own reactions, you know, from kind of watching this unfold. Uh, But today we have Pratik Patel. He is a high performance coach, researcher, registered dietitian, advisor, and author, which I didn't know that piece. We'll get to that. Originally from Shawnee, Kansas, Pratik received his undergrad in dietetics and went on to obtain a master's in kinesiology from Kansas State University. His work in sports nutrition and strength and conditioning has earned him positions with collegiate teams, primarily in football and basketball, um, at Kansas State, Michigan State University, University of Oregon, and most recently in the NFL with the New York Giants, which... I'm fangirling over here because I'm a huge football (laughs) fan. Uh, He was one of the first in the country to hold dual primary full-time roles uh, in that capacity and also the first South Asian and minority on a professional coaching staff uh, in those dual roles. So, so accomplished and Mm -hmm. welcome Pratik. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Glad to have you here, man. And I want to just quickly share how this connection happened because <laughs> we, you know, I mean, it probably sounds a little odd that I'd have connection with, you know, an NFL coach. <laughs> um, back in, I guess it was 2014 when I started working with Bronco football here in Boise. I am a sports dietitian. I'm an athlete. I grew up with brothers, <laughs> but it quickly became apparent that this is a different culture with a different set of needs and principles. And I was desperate for help. So I started networking and I reached out to an old college roommate of mine that was working at University of Oregon. And I was like, hey, is there a sports dietitian over there for football that I can connect with? And she was like, yeah, Pratik Patel gave me, I think your email or your phone number and just said, you know, reach out to him. So I cold called you (laughs) (laughs) and I will never forget. I was sitting in my office during my lunch hour at my other job, just trying to get as much information as I could. And football has this really interesting kind of covertness to it where like there's this 
sly, like we're doing something we don't necessarily want everybody to know about because this is our secret to success kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And you, Pratik, were so just, you. I think you talked to me for like an hour and just gave me your time and were so open to any questions I had about nutrition and the team and the culture and just you. And I was just so grateful. Um, so after I departed Bronco football, you also were supportive in sharing your experience with other teams and some bumps along your career path that after hearing what we just heard, (laughs) would kind of be shocking that somebody like you has run into those things, but I think it's really important for people to hear that. So, um, so thank you for being so, so open and welcoming. And I look forward to this discussion today. Oh, no, you're welcome. I'm glad, you know, things that I have to say actually, uh, help people out because sometimes, you know, they don't know, you know, we work these jobs, we work long hours. We try to do what we think is right because none, none of this stuff is ever taught to you in school. So you either have somebody that can kind of show you the ropes and take you along the way, or you get put in a position where you try something, it works great. If it doesn't, well, you learn, and then you try something again. So no one really has the stranglehold or, you know, the, the perfect book or recipe for figuring all this stuff out. So getting a chance to, you know, share my experiences, but also getting a chance to learn more about what you were going through, or maybe there's something that I can learn from that too, is really valuable. Let's start with a little bit about your background. Let people get to know you. What was your childhood like? Kind of, you know, what shaped you? Yeah, so I I grew up in Kansas, in Shawnee, Kansas. Uh, I've got an older sister. Both parents weren't born in the States, but my sister and I definitely were. So just like any other typical Asian American family, parents uh, own their own business, so they work very hard. They wanted us to excel in everything that we try to do, especially in academics. So that was definitely a focus for my sister and I. So one thing they really hammered to us was you you need to get good grades. So uh, you progress through elementary school, middle school, high school, you can get into a good college, get good grades there, maybe get an advanced degree and get a good job. So what's really common with, you know, families like ours is going into a career field that's highly regarded where you're going to have success, whether it's in medicine, whether it's in engineering, you know, things along those lines Mm -hmm. where it's somewhat of a prestigious career field. So trying to, I guess, freestyle and look at different career fields that aren't really known isn't, isn't necessarily frowned upon. It isn't encouraged because there's always the fear that if you don't follow that, you know, doctor path, you not, might not have success. Mm-hmm. And that's happened with, you know, family members, friends that have done that. So that was always something that was in the back of our minds where you can't do exactly what you want to do. This is what you should do. So growing up in Kansas was, I guess, interesting to say the least. I don't don't think it was extraordinarily challenging, but it was challenging because you're different than all the other kids that are around you. You know, it's a predominantly white area. You look differently than everybody else because of the emphasis that my parents placed on education. uh, I just, I guess I just happened to be smarter than some of the other kids. And the reason was not just because I was Asian was that, you know, when you go home from school, obviously homework needs to be done, but there's extra work that you know our parents had us do whether it was extra reading whether it was looking at different books math science what have you extra workbooks so that i guess educational drive started really early where it wasn't that i knew i was smart is i had to be smart because i have to do this extra work to get the grades and so growing up i i, I love sports 
my parents didn't really shy away from allowing me to participate in them. My sister wasn't really a big fan. She was a little bit more artsy. She has a much more musical background than I do. She can mm. sing, she can play the violin. I can't sing to save my life. <laughs> I can't play an instrument outside of, you know, a guitar hero that was out when I was in college. Oh yeah. I like that's, it. That's about it. Hey, that counts. That counts. I think so. It does, I mean, man. You have to have some musicality to be able Absolutely. to you know, play on expert yeah, and do well. Coordination. Yeah, man. <laughs> but I was able to play soccer growing up and I love soccer. It was a lot of fun. I played for a few years. Uh, it's actually kind of funny. One of my best friend's dad was one of our coaches growing up and he ended up going to KU. I went to K-State and I'm back now in Kansas and back in Western Chinese and staying in my friend's house who his dad co- coached our soccer team when we were in third grade. <laughs> oh, wow. Kind of funny. That's funny. You know, I, I wanted to play baseball and football, but because of, you know, how dangerous my parents kind of perceived it, I wasn't allowed to. So mm-hmm. I stuck with soccer, then got into basketball in middle school, uh, then transitioned at the tail end of high school to football and track. But in between that time, like a lot of kids, you know, going through middle school and high school, it's a very awkward time. You know, body's changing, you know, hobbies and all this stuff is changing. Popularity becomes the most important thing, trying to fit in. Uh, instead of uh, trying to belong more than just fitting in, but you have to fit in because you might not be a part of those popular cliques. So I stopped playing sports for, you know, four or five years and played a lot more video games, was a little bit more to myself, which, you know, kind of just exacerbates the whole introverted introvertedness of my personality, which is a little bit different than my sister, who's much more extroverted. But, you know, like a lot of other people, I became, you know, overweight, sedentary, and it's not a fun time in your life to have to go through that, especially if you're, you're considered or perceived different. Mm -hmm. So there weren't a lot of Indian kids that I went to school with. I mean, not a lot of black or African American until high school with uh, 2000 students in high school. That's when it becomes a little bit more of a melting pot. So that middle school portion was a little bit difficult. Sure. And you know how it is. You have to deal with it yourself. You know, parents are always working, always supportive, but I don't know if they could sense it, neither did my sister. A lot of stuff I was going through by myself, having to figure out, you know, this is my life. I'm not a popular kid and I'm not the smartest anymore because now you're in a school with 2,000 other kids. You know, if you're really not the top, top of the game. And I mean, our high school had people getting 1,600 on the SATs, getting full rides to like Stanford, Harvard, MIT. So then you get caught in the shuffle again. So if I want to not feel like this, not be embarrassed about the way I look, the way I act, you know, how I'm perceived. I got to do something about it. You know, no one's going to come and save me. And that's when I started learning a little bit more about nutrition because I kind of realized like, yeah, I've got these really bad habits with how I'm eating and what I'm eating. I'm not fit because you get tested, you know, middle school, high school, you go through because PE is a class. I don't know if if it still is nowadays. I hope it is (laughs) You know, for the sake of all these uh, sedentary kids growing up. Right. In, in America. But I mean, if the most popular girl in school who I thought was, you know, beautiful and hot and whatever said that if you did five push ups, I will go out on a date with you, I probably wouldn't have been able to get more than one or two. <laughs> By damn, you're going to try though, right? Yeah. Oh, I was going to try it. I would probably Die try trying. to, you know, do a little worm kind of deal. But <laughs> and that's how not in shape I was. So, so I just, I just want to stop real quick and, yeah. and kind of pause in this phase because. We heard how driven and motivated you were growing up and how those values of academics and striving and high achieving were instilled in you early, yet you still went through this phase of, it sounds like, 
I mean, a lot of adolescents can probably relate to going through that phase where you're not popular, you're finding yourself, you, your body looks different because all these changes are happening. Do you think that, I guess I'm wondering is, was that like a rite of passage for you or was that something that you, um, you could have just continued down that path. If not for this, you said there was like one kind of wake up moment that got you going. I think that moment was instrumental because I don't think I would have taken action if I hadn't gone through it and then made a decision to say, all right, something has to change. And you know, the, it wasn't that anything was lacking from the academic standpoint. It was everything else involved around, you know, what does my social life look like? What is my, physical health look like? How, what do, how do I feel mentally and spiritually? Oh. I guess at that time, I probably wasn't thinking in those terms, but now looking back sure. at it, the, the thoughts that popped in my head would fit in those categories. Sure. So yeah. from then, it, it was like a, a switch that flipped. And then that's when I started you know, figuring out, all right, I need to get back in shape. I need to learn how to eat. And you know, I, I want to play sports because I've always loved sports. You know, I've been mm-hmm. a huge fan since I was a kid. And that wasn't something that was a part of my life for four or five years because I ended up stopped. I stopped mm-hmm. playing team sports in grade school. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was a decision that was made. It wasn't a smart decision. I wish I wouldn't have done that. But again, hindsight is twenty twenty. I may not end up being right. here if something else had happened back then. Sure. So yeah. that's what kind of started this. I don't know the best way to describe it. Maybe it was just an infatuation or an obsession with food and learning all about it. And, you know, no one was there to kind of teach me like, hey, this is, mm-hmm. you know, some basic concepts. This is how you should eat based on what your goals are. It was, you know, grab a magazine, look right. at some article from dial up internet on AOL <laughs> and then try to figure it out. Right. You know, with, yeah. with exercise, I started yeah. by just going on the high school track, which is available for everybody, as long mm-hmm. as it didn't interfere with track practice or any mm-hmm. other team that was using it. So I was not in great shape, but I started by just jogging really slowly doing a 400. Mm-hmm. So the next time I kept adding a little bit onto it, then I started like an 800 and then I did 800 repeats and then started adding in some resistance training, took a weights class, which was an easy segue because then I didn't have to try to figure it out on my own. Although mm-hmm. weights classes in high school are taught by the <laughs> sophomore football coach. So it's just how yeah, we did honestly, it in 1956. Oh, it was <laughs> right? a joke. But it, it, what I started to learn from that was I, I loved the training process because now I was, you know, getting stronger. And at that age, I mean, it's hard not to just get stronger right. when you're introduced with new movements for the first time. And so my body was changing shape, you know, I started to lose some of the weight and it was like, oh my God, this is awesome. And I kind of become really hooked on it. Now, you know, I could say that I probably gave myself an eating disorder just with how fixated I became on certain foods, always checking labels, you know, being afraid of eating anything with fat because I, you know, I didn't know about macronutrient metabolism. So there was an association mm-hmm. with if I ate something that I wasn't even looking at calories, I was looking at fat. Or oh. I wasn't even looking at, you know, how much added sugar was in it because yeah. it was like, well, it has to be low fat. So Wow. Yeah. That's fascinating to me because I think that is a very common path that a lot of people take, especially if you come from a background of where you became overweight, you were eating you know, an unbalanced diet and living a sedentary lifestyle. And then you shift over to this other realm of, I really want to focus on my physical health and nutrition. So you were getting your information primarily from 
magazines, articles you'd find on the internet. Did you have anybody to guide you through that? Or did you talk with friends or parents or coaches or anybody through that phase? No, I just did it all myself. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can share that experience. I had the same kind of experience my freshman year in college. I gained a lot of weight and uh, wanted to lose weight and had no idea what I was doing. And that's when like low carb was really, Atkins was really getting popular. So I, my diet was like fat-free hot dogs, pepperoni, and cheese. <laughs> that's <laughs> most of what I ate because <laughs> it was like, okay, I need to be scared of carbs apparently, you know, uh, no concept of calories or anything like that. And yeah, like I can relate to that experience of just yeah. like, well, I guess this is what I'm doing. Let's fumble around in the dark a little bit. Oh, you know, these people that are trying to get healthy or, or lose mm-hmm. weight, they, you know, they don't know what to turn to. They don't know what works, what doesn't work. So they find out what's right. in the media. So right now the media is perpetuating, you know, plant-based diets, carnivore, mm-hmm. all the other stuff, as opposed to the other popular fads that have been around. So most people don't automatically think like, yeah, I got to go work with somebody who right. has gone to school for this. It's, well, this is what the celebrities are saying. And this is what so-and-so is doing. And look how much weight they lost because you have a before and after picture. It's like, this is what I'm going to do. Right. Because they may have tried something before that somebody may have recommended to them. And, you know, for a variety of reasons, it didn't work. So I think that's where a lot of people get confused. Mm-hmm. And you can see the, I guess, frustration on both sides from a practitioner standpoint, and then also from the people that are trying to engage in it, too. So this is in high school when you're starting to learn about nutrition and strength training and that kind of stuff. And then you went to K-State. Is that what you said? Yeah. Okay. So how did that continue to grow? Or I mean, how did you go to college thinking, yes, I want to, I want to do something with, you know, athletes, or I want to be a dietitian. Was that real clear in your head? How did you come to get to that point um, from kind of those, that beginning stage in high school? Mm-hmm. So initially, I started out at K-State as a mechanical engineering major, okay. a mechanical engineering major, which is I mean, the furthest thing away from dietetics, because I was so good in math and science, it just seemed like an appropriate segue. But, you know, honestly, that program there is really good. So as a freshman in the program, I knew that I was kind of out of my league, knew what was going on. They didn't feel as lost as I did in my head. And my heart really wasn't in it. And I was also you know, trying to be a social freshman in college, like mm-hmm. everybody else wants to be. So I had a, a friend of mine that I was rooming with my sophomore year, he said, Hey, you know, I'm in this nutrition and exercise science major because he was going the PT route. And that's what a lot of students ended up doing at K-State who were, you know, pre-PT. Mm-hmm. He said, you love this stuff. Why don't you just talk to the advisors, see what you think? And I said, Hey, that's a good idea. So talk to the advisors. And it was a dual major, which was like over 150 credits. And I would have to be in school, you know, for another five or six years to catch up on top of, you know, taking classes in the summertime. I'm like, well, I'm already a year behind. I know these engineering classes are going to transition over mm-hmm. to, nutrition and exercise science because they're just completely different disciplines. Really, my goal was to maybe work at a gym as a personal trainer, but also doing, you know, consults and meal plans and nutrition, you know, helping people out the same way that I had made this change for myself and saw the benefit of it and and the direction of my life just went completely different direction than it was going. So the trajectory was great. And I wanted other people to feel the same things like, look, I've been there. I know what you're going through. I know what it takes, but it's going to take a lot of hard work. Mm-hmm. And that's my thought of what I was going to end up doing once I left college. Like the thought of working with athletes didn't even cross my mind. Yeah. And How did your parents take that news? <laughs> it was a little bit of a shock at first. Yeah. That's, that's a good question. They weren't <laughs> necessarily happy because no one in the family has ever dealt with or really knows what a dietitian is. Sure. You know, it is a part of 
the medical community, but it mm -hmm. isn't on the same level as a doctor or a pharmacist or right. you know anything that has an MD or a D behind the name. Mm -hmm. uh, well, RDs have a D, but <laughs> I know. <laughs> Sometimes people don't even realize that. <laughs> so they, you know, they weren't discouraging, but they were very skeptical. Sure. And kind of more along lines of, all right, let's see where this goes. And if he, you know, isn't successful, then he's going to have to transition and it's going to be on him. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for me, it was, I, this is what I want to do. And I'm not even going to look back because once I started taking the classes and the coursework, like I loved it. Mm -hmm. It was so good. I went from not good grades in mechanical engineering because I didn't want to take differential equations and <laughs> engineering physics, which I still have no clue to what it is to this day, Yeah, maybe. even though I passed the class. <laughs> taking you know nutrient metabolism and yeah. you know a couple intro to exercise physiology classes which was awesome and i, I loved the mm -hmm. courses got really good grades and that's how i finished out my time in undergrad this is so um i'm just like smiling listening to this whole story because it's very parallel to what i went through i started out in, in architecture mm -hmm. and which is very much connected to an engineering type of, you know, it's a little more design, but, and then when I switched to exercise science, which was my first love was physiology, it just clicked. And like you were describing, all of a sudden you have found kind of where this all comes together for you and you find your passion and what you want to do. So were you athletic through that entire time in engineering or did you take a pause from that and then come back to it i mean as athletic as you know a college fraternity college student wants to be you know i i didn't do a lot of intramurals you know like to play basketball pick up games at the rec uh, yeah. maybe a little bit of football here and there but that's when i started to spend a lot more time in the weight room and that, that was another big thing that you know, I transitioned back to football and track at the tail end of high school after I'd made, you know, some physical changes to my body. But I think I loved the training aspect of it a lot more than just the competition aspect of it. Play mm -hmm. is going to be political. The better players are always going to get time. And if you've been with the, the team since you were a freshman, then that obviously carries favor in the eyes of the coaches instead of somebody that just starts playing for the right. last two years of high school. And I, I was very average at best. So the, the weight room is kind of where I really fell in love and found as my, my second home. Mm -hmm. So I continued to do that during college. Obviously still didn't necessarily know exactly what I was doing, still learning how to eat, trying to figure sure. out what my end goal is. And at that time, it's always to be the biggest and strongest dude at the rec. And <laughs> that's what everybody wants to end up doing, right. but not really understanding, you know, genetically and how I'm actually built. Like, all right, this is what your frame actually can hold. Uh, but you, you don't know these things at the time. But now when I look back at it, I'm thinking, man, I look like an idiot when I was in the gym <laughs> just with, the movements I was doing, how, you know, everybody wants to wear a cutoff shirt to look really big mm -hmm. and cool, but the only people that you're around are a bunch of other dudes. So you're looking, you're trying to look big for other dudes instead of <laughs> the girls you're trying to impress. So it's like, what was I doing? <laughs> so you said, you said that you really fell in love with that, the aspect of like preparation, like the strength training, um, the, the discipline of it. Is that, is that right? Kind of what you just said? Mm -hmm. Okay. So, and earlier you said that like in high school, you real, you said no one you discovered, realized no one's going to save me. Right. Which I think is a really, that's an important point for people who want to be healthier. Like the responsibility is yours. 
You know, you can hire people, you can work with people, which is great and a fantastic choice, but still like the responsibilities on your shoulders, only you can save you. So taking those two that, you know, say realizing that only you can save yourself and kind of falling in love with the, not necessarily even the plane, but like the, the preparation. Did you, do you feel like there was an element of you just kind of fell in love with like the taking things into your own hands of that responsibility on your part? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's huge. And you mentioned it before too, where people, they want, they want the change. They want it mm-hmm. easy, but they don't realize that for most anybody that's achieved success in their body or career, whatever it is, it, I mean, it takes a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Very few people make it happen the first time around or very few people get lucky. Right. And then very, even fewer people are kind of these genetic anomalies that yeah. will be able to look the same way, you know, six pack abs and big chest and bulging biceps. I mean, a lot of friends that I, I had gone to school with back then that had that don't have it now because they mm-hmm. stopped putting in that effort and bodies yeah. change over time. So what I developed in high school was that mindset where, you know, no one's going to do it, but me. And if I want it, it has to be important. And I have to transition who I think of myself and what I believe of myself into someone that is in shape, who's fit and healthy. And that's what I associate myself with. And I think that's, that's really powerful. I think people sometimes when they fail, they don't get a chance to do that. So for me, I just was able to develop that drive and know how to tap into it. So, you know, maybe I didn't do well for a couple of weeks, gone off the rail, but then I think like, all right, do you want to go back to the way you used to be? No, mm-hmm. back at it again. Yeah. You know, yeah first that's thing, a great point. Monday morning yeah. or, you know, back in the gym, go grocery shopping, get your shit together and, and associate yourself with who you, you are or you want to be. Yeah. I love that point of, of the identity, you know, of like, this is how I see myself. Even if I'm not there yet this is who i'm going to be and this is who i'm going to identify as versus this is who i've been so i keep pulling myself back to who i used to be you know i think you know um just working with everyday ordinary people i see that a lot you know and they're fighting who they've always identified as versus like who am i going to be who do i see myself as that's a great point i'm glad you said that that's really good yeah and i i also am hearing a balance of that piece with some sort of showing yourself grace in Mm -hmm. knowing like this is, these are my genetics. This is my history in sport. This is how my, how my life is set up, you know? So I think that is, and that's, I mean, totally a middle-ish kind of concept that we encourage people to understand here, you know, sure, set goals, strive for better and, and, really take a look at where you want to be versus Mm -hmm. where you have always been and practice some grace and some, you know, like be your own kind of cheerleader in a way um, and be realistic about it too. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, for a lot of people and even athletes too, you know, you get the linemen that come to you that say, Hey, I want six pack abs. It's like, dude, really? (laughs) No, you know, you want to look like Tyron Smith of the Cowboys. I'm like, all right, that guy's one in the NFL. (laughs) You're a high school football player or college football player. Like, no. And the same thing for me, I think understanding like, all right, I'm a five ten guy. I've got very narrow, you know, hips and legs and bone breaths. I'm not going to be able to carry a ton of mass. So yeah, it'd be great if I was really as muscular as I possibly could be and still feel healthy. But at the same time, like, yeah, I could probably get to that stage, but the way my body is, I'm going to put on, I'm going to be up in like the two tens, which I've, Mm -hmm. I've been before when I was at my strongest, but at the same time, like, this isn't, I don't feel good. This isn't what I want to be. You know, I'm only trying to be big for 
the players to say that, oh, I can move the same amount of weight as you when they don't really care. Right. Like, uh, so when I started to say, really all right, now let point. me get back to who I really am, you know, get back to being <laughs> lean, like, you know, as lean as I can while being just very healthy. And that's what actually impresses the players more. They're like, oh man, you're shredded. You're blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, yeah, I can't be, you know, as big as our NFL running back or, right. you know, our best wide receiver, you know, things of that right. nature, just being more realistic about yeah. who I am and what I can be. You started working not only with the Kansas State University teams, but it also sounded like maybe, um, did I see the Royals in there and um, the Houston Texans? And tell us about that because that's super cool to kind of bridge you into your professional role. So those were more of just, you know, intern type experiences where I had a chance to work with the practitioners that were working with their teams and just getting more of an idea of what their roles and their responsibilities were at that time to see if that was something that, I might be able to do, or that's an outlet that potentially I could get to, whether it's a con contract role, whether it's somebody that's hired on as a staff member, because, you know, again, you don't get taught any of that in school. Right. Nowadays, it's a lot better because you've got integrated departments in athletic departments that have multiple practitioners. They have interns and students and fellows, but it wasn't like that, you know, 11 years or so ago because it's, it's grown quite a bit in just a short amount of time. Mm -hmm. So everybody was trying to just figure it out as they went along. You know, some schools were definitely more progressive than others. They knew the value of it and wanted somebody to take the reins of running a department. Others were like, well, you know, we just want to have somebody that we can access if a player has a question or we want to mm -hmm. do more of just the clinical side of it instead of understanding how it can touch all these different aspects of sports science and physiology and recovery, which is what we're seeing a lot more now. So for me, it was getting those experiences and then getting back to school, getting that degree in kinesiology. So I started doing a little bit more like group fitness coaching, started learning more about working with athletes. And I had an opportunity to work with the men's basketball team at K-State, which was a really good eye-opening experience because I had a lot of one-on-one -on -one conversations and one-on-one -on -one time with those players where, you know, great conversations. I, I addressed what they wanted out of it, what their expectations were, what their goals were, but then realizing that you can have the best dialogue. You can have a great relationship with somebody. It doesn't mean they're obviously going to do exactly what you want them to do right. because you have to figure out where it is on their list of priorities and how important it is to them. Mm -hmm. So good talks with the guys, but then, you know, you have your big star basketball player who needs to lean out. He's still slamming McDonald's on the way home because, you know, that's, <laughs> he's driving home. It's there. He's hungry. He's got money in his pocket. That's what he's going to do. Or, you know, the star basketball player who, just needs to work a little bit more on recovery. He's just eating chicken fingers and the calf all day long. <laughs> yeah, because. that's important too because it, that's something I think is probably becoming more evident in our schooling that you and I both went through, you know, exercise physiology and dietetics is the behavior change component. And how do you, mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's all well and good to tell somebody, you know, to you know, choose lean protein or time your nutrients here or, you know, try and cook something at home instead of hitting the drive through. But as you discovered early in your experience professionally, and I did too, that the behavior change is a very different beast to address versus just saying, this is what I know and this is what you do, X, Y, Z. And sometimes you're trying to change behaviors and bad habits that have stuck with them since they were kids. And it's a lot harder to do that than change somebody's form doing a squat because in the strength setting, you can change it and they can automatically see the benefit of it. You know, mm -hmm. if they go get treatment from a trainer, it's like, hey, 
you know, my knee hurts or this hurts, that hurts. All right, we're going to do treatment. I can automatically feel the benefit of it. So if, mm-hmm. if an athlete who's used to eating a certain way, you know, where they get gratification from food because the food choices are automatically associated with, you know, the huge dopamine hit that they get because it's <laughs> sweet or it's savory or they have an association with it from family. You change that up, they eat broccoli or they eat whatever. I mean, they might not feel the automatic benefit and then they go into right. uh, their bad habits and then they come back in the weight room. They're still pushing incredible weight. They're making gains, you know, for a variety of other reasons. Maybe it's just genetically they're gifted. They have a good training program or they're just in that stage in their life where they're going to continue to see results regardless. Mm-hmm. So that makes it a lot harder to try to get them to buy in because it's not just one time point that you're trying to fix. You're trying to fix sure. everything that happens in 24 hours. Right. And everything that you want to prescribe for them has a re- role and reason behind it. And for them to get the benefit, they have to do it regularly. Right. I mean, not just once or twice, like regularly for months. Yeah. yeah. And that's hard to get that buy-in, especially if you're not around them all the time right. to check them. And then also realizing that, you know, the stuff that we're not necessarily taught in nutrition science is you can have these different types of stressors that can provide the body with the benefit as long as everything else is taken care of. So mm-hmm. them, you know, going out and drinking one night a week or going out and eating a meal, a high calorie meal or whatever, that actually can provide a benefit if you program it properly. Sometimes they yeah. also don't see that too. Right. So that behavioral piece, are, are like college and professional athletes more open to that or are they less open to that? That, I mean, is there a, a, a feeling of I'm here at the top? I don't think I need to change what I'm doing. <laughs> is there that kind of assumption or is, are they more open to that because they're, they're so driven to be the best they can be? How does that behavioral piece, how is it often received? I think from my experience, they're a lot more receptive at the professional level because there's a lot of misconceptions about what it is working in an NFL environment, mm-hmm. especially for college kids that haven't been in it yet. All they see is the glamour on the outside. Sure. And then they, you know, if the really good ones get invited to the combine, they go to the combine. So in this setting, I'm like, I'm talking to them. I know, I know what the schedule is like in the combine. These guys have long days. They wake up really early in the morning. They got to do drug tests. They got to get poked and prodded. They have to spend hours with each team physician getting, you know, assessed Mm-hmm. They have to go through meetings until, you know, 11, 12 o'clock at night. It's not like they're at home where they can kind of eat whenever they want to. So whoever right. they're working with has to bring them food and snacks. Sometimes it's not always available. And they're like, this is miserable. I can't believe, you know, this is what it's like. <laughs> so when they get to the league, sometimes that sense of urgency, if it's explained to them by the organization, really helps them see like, hey, you know, if I'm an undrafted rookie free agent, I can make this team because it's happened in the past, but nobody's just going to give it to me. I have to show up and say like, I know what my duties are. I'm in the right shape. I'm in the right size. Physically, I'm capable of doing it. I can do it day in and day out because football is a tough sport, which means I have to take care of my body because my body is my way of making money. So that's why I've talked to players that are like, Hey, it's contract year. Tell me what I got to do. You know, I'll hire a chef, tell them the chef what needs to cook. Tell me what I need to supplement Mm -hmm. with. How do I improve my sleep and recovery, things of that nature. So that sense of urgency for the, the organizations that teach it to the players or the vets teach it to the, uh, the younger players comes into play to where they're more open to be like, Hey, I, you really got to tell me what I need to do that, that. You know, sometimes it's just words. Sometimes guys are like, yeah, it's going to be my best year ever. I'm going to ball out. <laughs> tell me what I need to do. I tell them and then they don't do it. And that's when you kind of have to take them to the side and say, Hey, look, I want you to get paid. I want you to have as much money in your account. So you feel comfortable taking care of your family, your mom, your kids, your brother, whoever. Mm-hmm. But 
you're not doing it right now and it's going to hurt you in the end. So sometimes you a little bit of tough love at the college level. It, it's difficult because there's a lot more going on in their lives in terms of what's imposed on them from the university. You know, you've sure. got a class schedule, you've got tutors, you've got homework. They have to make a certain GPA. Um, you have practice, you have lifts, you have treatment, you have training table, you have meetings. Mm -hmm. So the day goes from, you know, 6 a.m. to 8 p.m. And then they're left to their own devices. Like in, in, in professional, in season, it's whatever, 6 a.m. to 4 p.m. And then, you know, the rest of the day is there. So yeah. there's too much done for these athletes come from an early age until they get to the professional level to where when they get that autonomy in the NFL, they kind of just don't know what to do because their sure. days have been so scheduled. People have been <laughs> yeah. yelling at them and telling them what to do and telling punishing them, them do, you know, yeah. to an extent Yeah, where it varies, but you see a lot more in, in the professional league that are definitely a lot more open to learning more about it. I know firsthand how, you know, there's sports nutrition and then there's working for a collegiate team and then there's working for a pro team. And it's definitely a hierarchy of, who stands out, who puts in the work, who knows who, who, who is dedicated to the process and that consistency. And you have done that where you built yourself up professionally to work with collegiate teams and then make it to the NFL. Can you tell us a little more about your experience kind of working that up? And is it safe to say there's a little bit of a parallel there that you could help impart with some of these players as to your trajectory? I think so. You know, for, for most players, really, like a lot of athletes are just very average, very few and far between on a college roster or an NFL roster. Are you going to have, you know, Pro Bowl, high-level caliber players? Sometimes you do with the accumulation of talent. The better colleges are going to have more of the five-star recruits, but not every single one of them is going to be a first-round draft pick. You know, most players are average. They just have something going for them. Maybe they harnessed it when they were younger, they spent their time putting into the work, into their craft to be able to get that opportunity to play. And I think that's with any, anything in real life. But for me, getting a chance to work at Michigan State, which is my first kind of, you know, larger role working with athletes, especially, you know, football, basketball, hockey, uh, some of the bigger, I guess, higher ticket sports were what my roles and responsibilities were. And that was more of a an interesting dynamic because I wasn't hired by the athletic department. I was hired by a department that had uh, all the sports med docs at a radiology. It had a subunit called sports and cardiovascular nutrition where they were providing the nutritional services. And so I was working, you know, 10 hours, 20 hours with the athletes, but also within the department as a teacher, a researcher and working with the mid Michigan youth athletes doing like holistic type training. So for me, it was more now I'm really ingrained. I'm really put in the middle and I have to create, you know, these policies, these procedures, the way to work about each specific team with more so of what the team wanted of me than what I thought was possible in, in the hopes one day that they would say, all right, we want to create a sports nutrition department or this performance department. And someone's going to be hired full time to be able to do that. Now, you know, my initial hope was maybe that could be me if they think that I'm the right person to do that. If it's within the right time frame. you know, I don't want it to happen 10 years down the line because I might not be able to continue to grow in a position if I'm waiting for something to happen and doing the same things year in, year out, because that would be a waste of my time too. So the first year was more of just showing them who I am, what's possible, gaining their trust, which is huge. The second year was actually really successful all around. The football team won the Rose Bowl, basketball team had always done really well. The women's basketball team won 
the Big Ten regular season championship. So there's really good momentum. So I'm thinking, all right, it's going into this third year. Maybe there's something that can be done to where they feel more comfortable about creating something and maybe I could be the person to oversee it. And from the administrator's perspective, they were more just happy with where things were. And in my head, I'm thinking when I'm, I'm getting to a point where I'm not growing in a, in the position that I was in, I'm not learning anything new and I want to take that next step. And if I stay here, I might not be able to do that because they could just say, well, in three years, well, in five years, but then you never Mm -hmm. want to take anybody for the word because in sports, that's, it's nothing unless it's written and (laughs) signed in a contract then definitely don't take somebody's word for it. Trust me. (laughs) And that's when I came across the opening at the university of Oregon, which was great because it was a director role. It was at a university that I had always respected and had really enjoyed watching going back to high school because of their affiliation with Nike the progressive thought right. that they had brought to doing anything and everything to get an advantage. And that's why they had, you know, 10 years of great success. And that's something that's very attractive. I'm like, this is so cool. This is the complete opposite of what I'm kind of doing right now. And it might allow me to do what I think is possible. So I was fortunate enough to get the job. So it was there for three years. It's where we got a chance to connect and yeah. it really was like a 180. So if I felt like I was put in this very tightly controlled box at Michigan state at Oregon, it's like, well, there's the Ferrari. Here's the keys. Go drive it. Figure it out. <laughs> it's like, all right. I have to just interject real quick because with my departure from Boise State, which was very difficult for me because I I loved that job. I loved working with those guys. And I went through a lot of the same kinds of pains that you went through at Michigan State with trying to prove yourself, trying to earn that trust, trying to integrate into the team and show them like, this is the value that I bring to your, your team. Mm -hmm. And when it didn't come to fruition and I had the same kind of like hope and like, you know, taking the promises that, yeah, we want to build this and we want to do this. And when it didn't happen, I was really, it, it rocked me. And you had said to me, I'll never forget. You were like, have faith that you are paving the way for somebody to come in your steps and you're creating the opportunity for somebody else. So if I could get nothing else out of that, frankly, shitty experience that I went mm-hmm. through professionally, you were like, Hey, this is, and, and it speaks to the way you kind of em- embraced me and all the other sports dietitians that you have worked with that like, Hey, we're kind of in this together and sports nutrition is a really challenging kind of field to show them what we can do and what we can bring to your team. So, um, so that was really important for me to hear and to believe in that, like this kind of happens for a reason. And, and you were proof of that because you moved on to get this amazing job at Oregon. No, And I, I think it's important for like some of these newer practitioners to realize like this field is still very young and very new in terms of, being integrated like sports nutrition using nutrition for performance that's been around for centuries but we are now just starting to really understand you know the nuances of it how it can be implemented not only within sports but specific sports and specific cases and situations so we're going up against that we're trying to fight time we're trying to integrate ourselves in a short amount of time when all these other fields have been able to do it for decades longer And they expect, you know, everyone wants results now because that's just how it is in sports culture today. So we want to do as much as we possibly can. We want to put everything 
our best foot forward, do any and everything for our athletes, because that's just the very type A personality that dietitians have. And it becomes really frustrating where you see what the potential could be, but administrators don't necessarily want to jump in. You have other key stakeholders that make the decisions, whether it's a head strength coach, whether it's a trainer that's been there for a long time, but others see like, well, I'd rather have another athletic trainer on staff because there's nine or 12 of us and there's 18 teams. So we need more. It's like, well, there's one dietitian for 23 sports. Yeah. (sighs) Yeah. You do the math. It's not that you're not important. It's that there are other areas that are important too. So it goes back to the people at the top. So then you went to Oregon and you got to drive the Ferrari (laughs) and you got to build a program. So tell us about that and your next step, which was making it to the NFL, which I've been like dying to hear a little more about. Yeah. Oregon was great because it was my first time actually being in charge of a department. So, but also with that, you have to be in charge of staffing and hiring, going through all that stuff, all the administrative stuff. So things that I'd never done before. So my first time around with some of these tasks, I didn't do a very good job. And that's just the lumps that I had to take. It was, mm-hmm. you know, now that I look back at it, I'm, you know, I don't want to say I'm glad I didn't do a good job, but again, when you don't succeed at something and you realize it and you can admit it, that's when you know that the second time it comes around, the third time it comes around, the fourth time it comes mm-hmm. around, you're going to be a lot better. And mm-hmm. so, you know, maybe that first year, year and a half, I wasn't as good as I should have been for, not not for the players or anything like that, but for, for the staff that I was creating, this atmosphere that I was creating. Oregon was also great because it started shifting my focus from putting my eggs in one basket, thinking that I was only going to be successful if the team was going to win to I'm going to be successful. If I make the staff around me better, my staff better, these athletes better, and not just Mm. in the nutrition, you know, weight gain, weight loss type sense, you know, help this kid recover. It was more of like, who am I? What do I bring to the table? What mindset can I bring? How I work? Because all the players see it. They all feel it. They all uh, recognize it. You know, Michigan state was still coming up with the whole performance um, science side of it, but that wasn't something that was super prevalent when I was there. So I, I never had seen it before. It was just stuff that you had heard about from other people, webinars and things that got posted in the media. So now that I, now I'm in the thick of it, working with a sports science coordinator who was from Australia. I'm like, Oh my God, this guy has a PhD and he's published papers. It's like, Holy crap. I better, you know, start asking him questions and start listening to him. <laughs> so my development was really great because it was very broad. It wasn't just this is, this is a nutrition only role. You're going to work menus and you're going to see athletes and then you're going to, you know, deal with the fueling station. It's like, no, you're going to, you're going to deal with everything and anything that you can get your hands on, but no one's going to tell you to do it. You're just going to have to figure it out for yourself. So being able to have that autonomy was good because I was able to learn a lot from the medical staff. It's a great medical staff. They're still there. Probably the best that I've worked with. Um, and then having, a boss come in who's a director of sports science and performance being able to show me things that I never seen before, which again, you're not going to learn this stuff in school, especially in the United States. So either somebody teaches it to you or you get exposed to it or you don't. So I think that was really key in, in my development. So we had a couple really good years. You know, the first year won a Rose Bowl, went to the national championship game, lost. The next year was a, a great year just in terms of how the team rallied. We were one game away from the Pac-12 championship. It ended in a little bit of heartbreak. We were up 31-0 at halftime to TCU in the Alamo Bowl, and we lost the game, I think, in double overtime. It was, I think, what at the time, it could still hold true to this day, that was the largest blown lead in the history of bowl games. 
Oh. <laughs> which, Gosh, which, it's not a stat you want to have, huh? <laughs> yeah. And, and the funny thing was, I, I could see it coming out of halftime. Just there were injuries that happened in the game and just the way that the dynamic of the team was that year. I'm like, you know what? We might lose this game. Oh, my gosh. We're up 31-0. And then things just started happening. And it was like a train that was going to get in an accident, but you couldn't stop it. But you had to watch it. (laughs) And unfortunately, after that, I don't think we regrouped as well as we could could have, you know, not only as a performance team, but also as just a football team in general. So I think when something that dramatic happens where you blow a 31-point lead, Mm-hmm. there's a reason for it and everybody should come to the table and say, Hey, we don't want this to happen again. We don't just want to continue doing what we've done in the past and hang our hats on the Oregon name and think that people are going to allow the team to score 45 points. Cause you know, we've got flashy right. jerseys on and Nike's on. It's like, no, let's, let's kind of just go back to square one and figure out what do we do? Well, what do we not do well, how do we hold each other accountable and get better? All these different areas. I mean, none of that really happened. And then the next year the team went, um, it was either three and nine and four and eight and the whole coaching staff got fired. Oh man. Which, yeah. And I mean, that happens. Like they clean house mm-hmm. when stuff like that happens. And for me, you know, it, it kind of hit a little bit rock bottom because you put in so much effort and you want to win. You want, you want the school to win. You want the athletic department, the team to win because of how hard they've worked, how, mm-hmm. um, how good the people are. I think one of the biggest things that was missing from the team was a lot it, there's a lack of accountability and there was no toughness. Usually you get that from the people developing them physically, the strength coaches and this and that. And there, there was a big piece of that was missing. And a lot of the guys kept turning to me and they're like, you know, what can we do? This needs to get better because they couldn't talk to the other people that were involved in it. And I'm like, I don't know. And for me that resounded quite strongly because it brought up all the things that I'd gone through in the past with how amazing things can happen in the weight room. You know, it's not just, oh, we need the strongest people. It's like, there's a lot of confidence built up. There's a lot of mm-hmm. mental mm-hmm. toughness. There's a lot of absolutely discipline and determination. Great. And you see yeah. that with a lot of programs around the country that are really good. And that's one thing that they can hand their hat on. I'm like, man, if this team was able to have that, maybe even going back to the national championship game, it may have given them the opportunity to be a little bit more competitive. I didn't mention this, but during that season when we went, I think it was four and eight. There were two players that I had worked with at Michigan state that ended up passing away one in a car accident um. who I was like Snapchatting the night before he died. And then another was, I think within the span of six months who was playing in the CFL, I believe. And he was out at like a restaurant or something at nighttime. And he was trying to defuse a hostile situation outside either the restaurant or bar. And he got, shot or stabbed and he died too. Wow. And so that, you know, you kind of think about things, things reevaluate, like, what am I putting focus on? What am I putting importance in? Is it do the wins and losses really matter? Or is it the relationship development with these players and the people that are around me? And do I feel like I'm giving my all and contributing the most of what I'm able to, mm-hmm. or am I just in this role doing what I, what people want me to do instead of what I think I can do? So I think that's where a little bit more of the the reevaluation came about once that new staff got hired on to Oregon to say like, all right, well, the wins and losses don't matter to me. It does to the university and to the coaches, but to me, that's not going to be why I work really hard or why I don't work hard. Yeah. It's how do I reframe my thoughts and figure out what is it that I want to do while I'm here? What is it that I want to achieve or what is it that there's left for me to learn? 
And mm -hmm. when I answered those questions and came to the conclusion that I didn't think there was much more for me to learn. And I think being able to transition and utilize more of my background in physiology, because I saw the importance of both of them put together and there was this missing link at Oregon for quite a while. I wanted to be able to see, can I, can I do something or can, is there a role out there for me, which would allow me to utilize my knowledge and skill set from both sides mm -hmm. before that three and nine, four and eight season, I had been in talks with another NFL team, got pretty deep, but they ended up going with a consultant instead mm -hmm. of hiring out. So that, that seed was planted in my mind and then going mm -hmm. through that type of season, really tough, you know, because even though we saw the writing on the wall of not being able to go to a bowl game, we still had to show up for the players right. and having been gone 90 yards with one NFL team, but not finishing that 10 to get hired was kind of tough. Sure. And then it was backed with a bad football season. It's like, Oh man. And then you see all your other peers having a lot of success, you know, their departments are growing. They're becoming more up to date and doing the things that you had been doing for the past three years or so. And it's like, shoot, there's not much more I can do here. Right. Or I think I'm flatlining. And that's when I had reached out to the head strength coach that was here. He was hired the previous year with the giants. And I, I said, Hey, this is who I am. I heard you guys were hiring. If you know, you'd like to talk, I'll send you my information. Hold the phone. Yeah. Hold the phone. <laughs> you just glazed over like this. <laughs> we've, we've heard like some ups and downs in your professional career and in your life, which I, this is the part that I want everybody to hear is that you've had these really high points and then you've had some pretty low points too. Mm -hmm. You came into this like low where you had this losing season at Oregon, total changeover with staff and coaching, starting to feel, I'm hearing some doubt in mm -hmm. who am I as a professional? What am I, what have I achieved in this? You know, should I even go on? And like, oh, all of my peers are surpassing me and like <laughs> all of that. But hey, I'll just reach out to an NFL strength and conditioning coach and, and sell Why myself. Not? I mean, can we just, can we just talk a little bit about that? Sure. That's some confidence, man. I like it. <laughs> I love it. You're scrappy and it's great. And it's almost like, okay, I'm at the lowest point. So what do I have to lose? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I don't know if I, I thought of it that way. I think the low point was just more of the way I was associating my feelings of feeling successful with what the team's win or loss record was. I think sometimes going through those low points are really important because it allows you to kind of reevaluate what it is you want, what it is you want to achieve, how can you get better as a professional, what am I doing well, what am I not doing well, because when things are going right, people don't want to change it because they don't want to be the thing or the one person that deviates mm. from what that success had brought. So I think it's, it's important for people to actually get a chance to go through some of those valleys as opposed to always being at the peak, because that's just mm -hmm. what life is. We're not always going to be at the peak. So... Okay, tell us about the NFL. That's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's pro time. What's that? What was that like, man? Uh, for me, I thought it was it was awesome. It was it was the role that I wanted. So mm -hmm. I I didn't want to just take a role in the NFL where I would get put back in a box like I was at Michigan State because then mm -hmm. that wouldn't allow me to touch on the things that I allowed myself to reevaluate after that final season at Oregon. It wouldn't allow me to feel like I was really making a difference or at least trying to utilize my skill set to the best of my ability. I didn't want to just go in and just be like, oh, the food guy. You know, I don't think that would have fulfilled me. I don't right. think I could have brought a lot to the table because anybody could do that. 
mm-hmm. you know, what I, this momentum that I gained from Oregon was like, oh, I'm doing things that nobody else is doing. So the NFL, there was, a, there was a lot of excitement going into that first season in 2017 because the team had made the playoffs the year before, uh, lost a wild card game to Green Bay. Like Eli had played really well. And there was just a lot of drops by the receivers and the infamous boat trip picture, which I don't know if you guys know about, but that is a, a sore spot in a lot of New York Giants fans around the league. Oh, I where, don't, but I have to look it up now. Yeah, so the players, that. you know, when, you, when you've got a, you qualify for the playoffs, you might get like a week off or something before the, day, the games are scheduled or a certain amount of days. So when players get the day off and it's more than, you know, one or two days. I mean, they're going to, they're, some of them will just leave the state. They will be on the first plane trip somewhere warm or somewhere <laughs> away. Out. Now, if the, if it's to get their mind ready and mind right, that's good. But if they're out and they're drinking and partying and then it gets put out on social media, that's obviously not a good look because then it's like, <laughs> all right, where are these guys at? And then when, you know, those right. players that were involved don't show up on game day and play poorly, it's like, well, it's not the exact reason, but there's going to be a strong association. Like, yeah, you probably shouldn't have been out partying on a boat mm-hmm. <laughs> before a playoff game. Right. So, okay. and, the, and the defense right. that had carried the team the entire season, um, unfortunately, they didn't play as well as they had, so a lot of points were scored. So there's a lot of momentum built up for the next year. It's like, all right, well, we just need to fix a couple things on offense. The defense is almost the exact same. It should be really good. And everybody was talking, oh, the Giants – have a really good chance to make the Super Bowl, and you know how when things get hyped up with preseason expectations and you don't deliver, especially in New York with that media, you just get destroyed. Unfortunately, <laughs> we did really badly that year. So the team went three and thirteen. The head coach, who also hired me, was fired before the year finished. So it was a GM. So I thought I was going to be, you know, one and done in the NFL because yeah. they were going to bring in a new GM and a new head coach, and that was going to be it. So. You know, there's a lot of similarities between college and pro just in terms of, you know, how football is structured. Football is football. But you see a lot of football being a business, which is very true. And you don't necessarily know it until you're in it. And you realize that, yeah, I I work for the organization. The players don't pay me to be their strength coach and dietitian, but they have to listen to me. But we have even less time to make an impact with them because the offseason is a lot longer in terms of the dead period in their way. And the time you have with them in the building is very short. And unlike college where you get these kids as freshmen until they're seniors or fifth years or juniors, if they go off to the NFL, you might only have a guy for a season or less, mm-hmm. but we need this guy to play. So there are certain expectations of getting them ready physically and mentally yeah. to be able to handle the demands of practices and games. So if they're not doing the right things that could, could be beneficial for them, they're not going to help themselves out. So it's trying to find a way to, identify how does how do I get along with this guy you know is he a vet is he a rookie is he influenced by other players is he hard-headed is he really difficult to work with how do I tailor my communication strategy so he understands it so that's one of the big differences between you know college and the pros and it is a business the roster is never set even if you're a first-round draft pick if you're if you got a bad attitude you're getting in trouble you're underperforming uh, you're a cancer to the team, so to speak. I mean, you're, you're not going to stick around. You know, when you when you don't have good years and things go off the rails from the outside, it looks like everything and everybody is crap. And on the flip side, if you see somebody from a team that's really good, you think, oh, best coaches, best practitioners. And right. I mean, that's not how it is. <laughs> yeah. 
it, if, if only it were that easy. Yeah. So and it's understandable if a new head coach comes in, doesn't know who he can trust because the team did so poorly, mm-hmm. you know, how, who, who am I to be the person he keeps on board unless he has conversations with staff, with players, gets a feel for what's going on, what went well right. with the team. Cause not everything's going to be bad, mm-hmm. but also what didn't work mm-hmm. and who should be kept. Mm-hmm. So we were fortunate enough to stick around after that second season. So got an extension after year one, got an extension after year two. So after year two was a lot of fun because we knew that it was going to be tough sledding. We weren't expecting to just automatically make it to the playoffs. We wanted to do better than the year before because showing progress is, is a way to prove that things are going in the right direction. We had the opportunity to, because of how, how bad the NFC East is and it's been, it's even worse this year that if we were able to win out the back half of our season, there was a chance that we could get a wild card uh, position or win the division because mm-hmm. the other teams in the division weren't doing really well. So that's, that was the excitement with the second half of the season. We put together like two or three wins in a row, lost a heartbreaking game, won another game, just got shut out by Tennessee at home on a rainy day. I think we went to Washington, beat them, and then lost to Dallas at home on a last-second pass which was kind of a you know kick in the face but we you know we weren't going to make the playoffs so we ended on somewhat a better note than the year before so that's when the excitement was coming in for year three and year three happens and it's just as bad as year one mm-hmm. so you, you know you hear the rumblings the writings on the wall the owners are happy the direction of the team isn't going where it needs to so then you play this game all over again and it's like all right well we're going to get another head coach it's going to have to start over from all over prove prove yourself if you if they keep you on board you got to prove yourself all over to a new coaching staff potentially a new gm and it just becomes this rat race where it's like am i am i doing what i need to do or what i could be doing or is it just i'm just sticking around and the team's sticking keeping me around because they they feel i'm valuable but you can't ask for more and you can't continue to progress because the team hasn't done well so you got to continue showing Uh what you're able to do. So I keep hearing this theme through your stories of that perseverance and maturity that comes through growth and learning. And I am just, I'm very curious if you, I mean, you said in your or we said in your introduction that you're the first minority to come into this dual role of Mm -hmm. sports nutrition and strength and conditioning. Is there anything there as well with that perseverance and kind of proving yourself over and over and not giving up? Because I think that's a really unique, that that puts you in even more of a unique Mm -hmm. position. The thing that I'm probably most proud of is that, you know, you don't see a lot of Indian people associated with professional sports or even sports right. in general. Right. I mean, what, what actually happens in another part of the world is completely different than what we're exposed to. So you don't mm-hmm. hear a lot about football or basketball players because those sports aren't prevalent in India and in, right. over there in Asia. And growing up here, you know, a lot of parents don't put a ton of emphasis on, oh, you know, my kid's going to be the next great quarterback. You know, he's going to be Patrick Mahomes in 20 years or so. <laughs> right. um, you know, it's more, oh, my kid's going to be the next Atul Gawade and uh, the famous surgeon or, you know, another high-level mm. Indian doctor. I mean, even now the vice president of the United States is half Indian too. So that's where I thought it was important to be 
put that out there as much as possible because there could be a lot of kids that have specific talents that, that they're born with, but they're not nurtured or harnessed because their parents are afraid that they're just not going to find any success because it's not prevalent. The same way that my parents thought that we probably shouldn't go into other career fields because it's not very prevalent and or people have tried and they haven't gotten success and they're worried about my sister and I failing. So for me, it just being able to show like, Hey, I wasn't the best athlete, but my determination, my will allowed me to, you know, go through all these different experiences and get to the NFL to be a coach on a coaching staff. But I think for me, what I am proud of, aside from being, you know, an Indian on a coaching staff in the NFL was in the face of the three worst, you know, it's the four worst years in the history of the organization. Hmm. We didn't let the players down. No. So I want to read in part <laughs> a, a recent Facebook post that I think you put out. Um, is it in maybe August? August. Yeah. Um, this is just a snippet. So if people, I think it's probably public if people wanted to look you up on Facebook or something and read the whole thing, but to reach the highest levels of in sport, there is a price for 11 years. I was willing to pay that price because I wanted to be the best and nothing was going to stop me. And I went hard. Mm -hmm. The price was 12 to 16 hour workdays time away from my family and friends, missing out on important life events, weddings, births, reunions, loneliness, living to work, surrendering your freedom and conforming and changing who you are to fit the standards of what is deemed acceptable to the point where you don't even recognize who you are anymore. <laughs> Tell us Sounds what like was a behind high cost. <laughs> Tell us what was behind that post. I started thinking about a lot of this going back to maybe even during and after the 2019 season with, you know, having another head coach leave and going through this process of proving myself once again. It's like, oh, how, like do I want to do this all over again? For me, the growth from where I started to where when I left wasn't even linear. It was more exponential with how it changed my life over the past three years. To the point where in my head, I'm thinking, all right, regardless of who the head coach is, I'm going to continue to get better in all these different areas in my life outside of a social life <laughs> <laughs> that, you know, it was worth the price of admission to continue working and losing, even though that sucks. You know, we, we work long hours, even though we gave a Super Bowl's worth of effort in terms of, you know, how we thought, how we interacted, all this, you know, I kind of wouldn't want to trade it even for like a playoff berth or winning the Super Bowl, because I think what I had gotten from it was worth even more than what a trophy could provide. Mm -hmm. the, the change was made. We met with the new coach. So I'm like, all right, well, you know, just, let's just give it a chance, see how it goes. And then the pandemic happened. So we were isolated at home. During that time, I had the opportunity to, you know, spend a lot of time talking to friends, family, start doing a little bit more virtually, you know, presenting through Zooms to teams, to performance groups, which was a lot of fun for me because it was continuing the learning process and then just having fun at home you know doing the things that i didn't necessarily have time to do mm -hmm. you know playing games and dancing around the house and you know whatever just being human like not being completely right. having <laughs> time to yourself again, you know, you're, 
yeah, you know, you put on that front that, sure. you know, you can't show any weakness to the players and you have to act this way. If you're working with a team, you got to do X, sure. Y, and Z. So that's what I actually meant by, you know, you're conforming to what they want you mm-hmm. to do and not necessarily yeah. feeling like you can be yourself sure. because not that it's frowned upon, but that it's like, that's not exactly what they want out of you because you're right. working for, for this machine as just a general cog in it. And I think the thing that sent me over the top was I was sitting in the serving area of where we were doing, you know, the grab and go meals. And my sister called me in the middle of the day and she like, she never calls me I'm like shit. I hope nothing's wrong. Mm-hmm. So I answered, she was like, Hey, you know, just wanted to see if you were available to come down. I'm like, Oh, well, you know, what, what day are you talking about? She's like, um, we're throwing a surprise party for my dad who turned 70 August. Uh, his birthday is the 15th. And I'm like, shit, you know, we're, we're just in camp. I can't get away because we work every single day. She's like, well, I hope we can, you know, you haven't like, when's the last time you were around for one of his birthdays? I'm like, I can't even remember. And she's mm-hmm. like, well, I hope you know, you'll be able to see him on one of his birthdays. Like, yeah. You know, he's, he's getting older, but he's not old, but it's not like I have 30 years right. with my parents. Mm-hmm. So that, that hit me really hard because then you start thinking about, you know, when's the last time, when's the last time, when's the last time I took a picture with my mom and dad? I'm like, I can't mm-hmm. even think of it, you know? Yeah. And that's what I'm thinking. I'm like sitting up here, just unhappy, doing the same things over and over again. Now this is what my role has been resigned to. And it, Mm. like, it drove me crazy. Like, Mm -hmm. this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm spending time away from my family from. Like, I don't even care about the money or anything like that. Yeah. Like at this point, it's like being in the NFL doesn't mean anything to me because I don't feel like I'm making anybody better. Like I would fixate about it. Like the first two weeks of camps, like it was the only thing on my mind. I'm done. Like that's it. Yeah. So you, I mean, you presumably worked your way up through everything we heard about with the collegiate setting into the NFL, your supposed dream job or where you should be. Yeah. Yeah. And it kind of came full circle to be, a disappointment in that you weren't getting better professionally or personally in that role. Fulfilled or, yeah. And then realizing that there are other things that make you human and whole, not just mm-hmm. the profession and that pursuit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's what it really came down to was thinking like, all right, am I going to be with this team for five more years, 10 years, and then I'm 50 years old and I'm single and I don't have any kids, but I'm so because of that drive I created when I was in middle school, high school about wanting to achieve success and be the best. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't not put all everything I had into it to want to continue to be the best, to be at the highest level, to do things nobody else has done. So that's just part of my persona. So I'm like, all right, is this how the rest of my life's going to go? Am I going to continue to have to try to prove myself every three or one, two, three, five years to another Mm -hmm. head coach? I had done a, a podcast back last November. Uh, at, the, at the end of it, the hosts had asked me a question. They're like, well, you, you know, you've, we feel you have made an, a lasting impact and this, this and that, but I don't feel that way because mm. obviously I love the athletes that I work with. They're great guys. I've got a good relationship with them, but at the professional level, since they're not hiring you and you're not a part of their crew, you work for the organization. You know, is this exactly what I want? Mm-hmm. And do I feel like I'm, I'm making an impact on the world based on the knowledge experience that I've had and can share. And, you know, during the lockdown, I was having a lot of fun talking to people on social media and 
doing a lot more just posting of experiences and thoughts and different things that just manifested in my mind and, and resounds with a lot of people. And I have, I have fun interacting that way. I'm like, I'm having more of an impact with people I don't even know through social media than I am with my own athletes. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I feel like there's so much more to give and do yeah. and a lot of people, not even just athletes. I mean, there's so many people that have gone through similar situations or they need to find a way to break through mm-hmm. and no one's kind of been that person to help them see that, you know, this isn't, that raw, raw leadership stuff where everybody's positive and spouting the same crap. I mean, that stuff doesn't work. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. not realistic. Sometimes you got to kind of go to those dark places to be able to find out who you really are to rise above it. And you, I mean, if you watch the last dance, you see how Michael Jordan acted. (laughs) People don't like that, but I'm like, that's awesome because look, (laughs) it worked. (laughs) It's so true. Yeah. You know, there's, there's something to that. And that's, how it all came full circle. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I made the decision, left the team, no issues there. Obviously I'm grateful for that experience because again, those three years of what I was able to learn in the position I was, how it transformed my way of thinking, uh, approaching certain situations, gathering knowledge is unlike any other situation I could have been in. Mm-hmm. Wow. So what's, next for you. Yeah, you How now? are you moving forward with all of this? I can't imagine that with your growth mindset and with your pursuit of always doing better and giving back that you're just like, oh yeah, I'm done. I'm going to hang out for a while. What do you got going no, on? No. <laughs> I mean, I may hang out to the end of the year just because, you know, <laughs> sure. 2020 has been crazy. I know it's been yeah. really tough for a lot of people for a variety of reasons. I think it's been one of the best years of my life because of mm. the way I've, I've thought about and approached it, not trying to have this victim mentality that a lot of people mm-hmm. do. And I got accepted into a PhD program by distance Nice. That's supposed awesome. to start in February 2021. So start doing my data collection at the beginning of next year, which I'm really excited about. Mm-hmm. I think again, it's a it's a challenge. Obviously, a lot of people say it's tough. I'm like, shoot, the past 11 years have been really tough for me. This be <laughs> right. Another thing I I encounter and get a chance to to tackle because I was able to realize that I'm in charge of my own thoughts, my own choices, what I want to achieve. Nobody's going to come save me. Nobody's going to come give me an NFL job. You know, I have to work for it and put my name out there. I think there's a, there's a lot with that to be able to share, you know, how can people develop personally and professionally to be right. able to get to where it is that they want. And a lot right. of it just has to do with being able to be as secure in their mind and body, because I think that has a lot to do with developing a will mm-hmm. and being able to really master i guess what you call the different intelligences you know physical health physical intelligence mm-hmm. mental health which you can kind of learn having a growth mindset where you seek out information how many different opposing points of view can you bring to the table mm-hmm. um spiritually what it is that you want in life and how are you going to attack it and then obviously the one of the biggest pieces is that social and emotional intelligence like if you can't connect with people and converse with people and communicate with them it doesn't matter how smart you are how good you right. look or how shredded you are like we don't learn this stuff in school like that's mm-hmm. just the unfortunate thing. They teach you what to learn. They don't teach you how to learn. They don't teach you how to develop and grow. And that's a big missing piece too. So these types of things should be taught because it's very valuable, whether it's through a school or whether it's putting out content on my own. Yeah. The podcast is launching uh, soon. Oh, nice. So that um, I've, I've named it the man on fire podcast because not only do I 
feel like my brain is on fire all the time from information <laughs> overload, but <laughs> like just that desire and want to succeed and achieve is, yeah. has always been in me since I was a kid, you know, for a time there lost a little bit of that youthful exuberance that we mm. always have when we, there's so much hope going on when we're in college or high school that makes us do crazy things for getting a date or do this and that. And, you know, as we progress in life and become a lot more cynical and we see what the world is really like, we lose a lot of that, but I, I found it again, which I think is really rare. And, you know, it's just a show that's going to be able to, for me to highlight more in depth, the stuff that I went through as a kid, like how did I develop that? And why is that the missing link between people in our field and a lot of fields? Yeah. You know, how do they harness those, those intelligences, whether it's physical, spiritual, mental, or emotional and social. And obviously I don't want to just limit it to people in sports because right. a lot of the life lessons and things you learn about in sports transcends sport itself. It can be mm -hmm. business. It can be in relationships. It can be in education. It can be in life. That's why I love um, talking to people outside of sport because there's so much that you can learn from them and apply it to everything right. that you're doing. Well, I have yeah. no doubt that seeing what you've built in sports nutrition and strength and conditioning and through your profession in that arena that you're going to build something super cool in, whether it's in academia or just mentorship. So best yeah. of luck to you, my friend. Yeah, man. I'm excited to see what happens. Yeah, uh, thank you. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, this has been fun. Thanks, man, for sharing all this. I mean, this is... I feel like there's so many parallels for people to pull out of your your story and um, even like you said within the world of sport that you know a 45 year old guy who's a businessman can apply and you know the mom who's staying home with the kids can apply I mean just everybody you know um, these these truths are universal and I feel like there were so many of those that you kind of uh, shared with us today and it's just really good stuff so thanks man really appreciate this no no problem I appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, thanks. Yeah. So one last thing that Michael and I do at the end of every episode <laughs> is we share a meaning in the mundane. So we'll let you go last if you if you want to. Uh, I, I actually, I have one off the top of my head. It's kind of funny oh, but embarrassing. Do it. Do it. So um, I consider myself a really good driver, just in the sense that I don't, last speeding ticket I got, I could have been in. Doesn't college. everybody? <laughs> um, <laughs> My buddy who I'm staying at, his, his younger brother just bought a house pretty close by. So it's in a, a neighborhood a little bit off the beaten path. So he mentioned like, hey, come over, check out the house. I put up a basketball goal. We can play hoops or, and shoot baskets. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. So went over to his house at nighttime, put in his address in uh, Apple CarPlay. So phone was plugged in. It wasn't like I was you know, speeding or anything or looking down on my phone, just following the guidance on the screen and you know, went through a couple back roads and it wasn't super lit but there was a, a train track area and then it went underneath the hill so what in broad daylight I would have seen was coming across this road veering to the right going over the tracks and then veering left underneath a tunnel which carried a set of trains the speed limit was like 35 miles an hour so not super fast but not slow at all so so what I actually did was I went left on the tracks at like 35 miles an hour <laughs> And I, I'm like, I'm 100% aware. I'm not looking at my phone. I wasn't like overly speeding yeah. or anything. This is just how my brain processed it because it was so dark. And uh -huh. the headlights on the car I have, I've never liked since I got them. But that's not, not the point. So <laughs> basically, I'm going over, and it's a, it's a four-door sports sedan, so it's not a big car. I went over two tracks, and the back right wheel 
tire was stuck on it. So I was just stuck there. The other three tires popped and they lost pressure. <gasps> so I'm standing there thinking like, I'm, I'm oh my God. on the track, <laughs> the car's facing downwards. And I'm like, did that really just happen? <laughs> Cause I haven't been in an accident in so long. And in my head, I got out of the car and I was like, I'm an idiot. <laughs> it's kind of like <laughs> laughing at myself. I guess the security or patrol that is around the subdivision area comes by like, mm-hmm. Hey, you okay? Like, yeah, I'm good. And I'm like, well, should we call this in? Because there might be a train coming. Like, yeah, hey, yeah, let's call it in. Luckily they did because there was a train coming. Oh, oh my gosh. All the train to stop it about 200 yards before it got to my car. And then that's not very far. Another patrol. Yeah. It wasn't very far <laughs> Especially away. Especially when it's a train. <laughs> yeah. Another patrol car came by. They were called the local city cops. Mm-hmm. And they're like, yeah, this just happened three weeks ago. I was like, what? <laughs> and then, and then something similar almost happened two weeks before that where two semis collided at the same time. I'm like you guys should probably put lights here. So yeah. in my head, I'm thinking, you know, maybe at a d- different time point in my life, I'd freak out and be like, Oh my God, the car and this, this, and this. But I think because of the control I have of my thoughts and this understanding the situation, it's like, Oh, well, I'll just call a tow. Insurance will take care of it because mm-hmm. I've been paying insurance for, decades and have never had to use it <laughs> right and i'm i'm not injured i'm fine so in my head i'm thinking man <laughs> what a horrible situation to be in but it's just whatever it happens it kind of shows you like hey i'm alive i can make mistakes mm-hmm. but i'm glad i went through it because i've never had to file a claim before yeah. i've never had to call the insurance company i probably wasn't paying attention <laughs> as well as i should have but oh are. man <laughs> the first thing i did was take a picture like what <laughs> You're like, are you okay? Do we need to come get you? I'm like, oh, I got a bunch of cops around me. Yeah. That's funny, man. <laughs> I mean, I was embarrassed. Like, they came back. They're like, are you hurt? I'm like, no, I'm embarrassed. Yeah. <laughs> Which is worse. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. That's good, though. I mean, you, yeah. you learn from those kinds of experiences, and it's good that you were able to stay calm and not, not freak mm-hmm. out, for sure. So mine is less exciting. Mine it really is. Mine really is a mundane kind of experience. So my we have a cat, Rally, and for those listeners who know, he's like our little baby. We're mm. ridiculously in love with this cat and he basically like runs the household, runs the show. Runs the and show. he's he's hurt. <laughs> he has a hurt leg. Mm. And we're not really sure what's wrong with it, but he's been limping around the house and just sleeping all day, which is unusual for him. He's usually Mm. up and he's very social and he's very snuggly. And I have had so many times where he'll crawl up into my lap, especially now that the weather's getting cold and he wants the body heat. You know, I'm not (laughs) fooling myself that he's totally in love with me. (laughs) He just wants the body heat. And he... um. Last night he did lay with me for a little while, but he was completely stoned because he had been at the vet. Mm. And I'm just thinking back to all these times when like Rally in his personality and his cuddly nature when it suits him um, and his presence around the house because I'm working here and today he's at the vet all, Mm -hmm. all day until I go pick him up and I just, I miss him. And I miss uh-huh. his personality and I miss, I mean, for people who are not cat people, they think they're kind of assholes and they're like, <laughs> you know, they're, 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 <laughs> yeah, okay. I mean, they so, can be. <laughs> they can be. <laughs> yeah. So, so I do miss him and it makes me appreciate, um, you know, those moments even more that I've had my little buddy yeah. and my little coworker around. Uh-huh. So 
yeah nice. he'll get he'll we'll figure it out he'll get better soon but yeah hope he's okay keep us posted yeah i will so uh for me um it's just been the last few days so my youngest daughter sophie who's four um she just figured out how to work our amazon fire remote um <laughs> nice. which has given her like so much freedom right like to like search and select shows and you know like just like she's out of her mind excited that she's able to do this right <laughs> which for me like working remote it's pretty mundane right it's nothing you think about but to watch her and her excitement about learning something new that's given her this like new freedom where she doesn't have to ask for us to you know find something we're not going like what show are you i don't know what the show with the cookie is you know she could, she can just go find and search for it for herself um to see her like just being so excited about that kind of freedom it's just been really fun to like see just i mean it's just like so much joy on her face that she's just like i can do it myself you know and then it's just been a good reminder to me of like um acquiring a new skill i need to find more joy in that <laughs> right yeah like like i need to i need to remember to be excited about the new thing um because I think as I've gotten older, it's easy to just kind of like, okay, well, I, you know, I figured that out onto the next thing and, and not really sit in it and revel in it and just find the, the excitement about being able to do something new. So it's just a good reminder for me. I like it. I like that. Yeah. So Pratik, thank you so much for thank coming on much, and sharing, yeah. sharing your story with us. And I'm so excited for your next path and I can't wait to see what you come up with. Thank you for sharing your experiences and continuing to grow mm -hmm. with people. And thanks for thank sharing you for your time me. with Appreciate us. It. Yeah, this is great. Okay. And thank you to all of you for listening, watching, whatever you're doing. Um, we appreciate it as always. Um, you know, we appreciate any subscriptions, likes, shares, all that stuff as we try to grow this podcast. Um, we appreciate any, any help you can throw our way. Thanks.